scripture is from Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, starting with the first verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Today we're going to be talking about being called to the cross and encountering joy. Now joy and Lent don't necessarily sound like they belong together, right? Because Lent is all about this season of repentance, but I, I want you to remember as we prepare ourselves for the Easter celebration that comes, this process and preparation of Lent, even though it's about repentance, every single Sunday in Lent is a small Easter celebration that we celebrate with joy, that we have a Savior who could not be bound by the tomb. So this prodigal son, it's a super familiar parable. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's a story of, of failure and, and reconciliation. And who doesn't love a good comeback story, right? But unlike the comeback stories that we're used to and where Rocky just trains harder and faster and tougher so that he can beat the Russian by his own strength and might, this is a comeback story of a different kind. Right? This is all about grace. The prodigal did nothing to earn to deserve it except to come back and repent. 
And we throw around that word prodigal, and I'm not sure that everybody understands what that word means. Because it doesn't just mean wayward. It doesn't mean rebellious. It means he spends money frivolously and, and extensively and wastefully. And in that sense of the word, the father in this parable is really the one who's prodigal. He's almost so generous with his grace that he is wasteful with it. He gives his youngest son his share of the inheritance, knowing his son will probably blow it all. After blowing it all, his son comes back, and the father is reckless and wasteful with his grace. He is so generous with it, and he pours it out, not just on his youngest son, but on his oldest son as well. Repentance that leads to forgiveness, that leads to joy. This is where I want to focus our time this morning. What can we learn about forgiveness, repentance, and joy in these words? Let's start with repentance. So we set the story up with two sons, and it's just logical at least for me to think, well, one son's probably good and one son's probably bad, because that's how most stories happen. But when we find out that that if it were not for God's grace, we would all be considered wayward, right? That it's not just the younger son that flies off the handle. It's the older son, too, in his pride and, and in his, his anger that is every bit as wayward as the younger son, just in a different way. But we learn in these words that God's grace extends to all, even people who are beyond hope to redeem and rescue Sometimes we think of the Ten Commandments as, as God's way of reducing, restricting our lives, kind of fencing us in, limiting what we can and can't do. And these commandments, they, they feel like that box sometimes that, that can keep us from truly enjoying the, the fun things in life. We instinctively want to rebel and, and, and move away from God to, to be able to encounter the things of this world. And then we hear the repentance of this younger son, right? He, he rehearses it in his head. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In other words, I know that I've messed up, but let me, let me work at it. Let me, let me work off what I've lost. Let me make it up to you. Get me out of this mess this time and you'll see that my life has changed. It sounds a whole lot like the famous foxhole prayer. God, save me from this. And if you do, I will live my life in service to you. Then we have the older brother. You know, his is the way of moral conformity. See, the Pharisees, they were the ones who were supposed to be hearing this parable because they were so stuck on, on their goodness, on their ability to conform to God's law and please God by how good they were. And this view, we can only attain happiness in a world made right by doing all the right things all the time. Because if you don't, there's punishment waiting. See, this isn't a joy-based life. This is a, a fear-based life of what happens when you don't follow the law. See, there's, there's no assurance of the Father's love. There's no relationship there. It's just doing all the right things, going through the motions. See, the older son, he says, you never threw me a party. You were never pleased. I was never good enough for you. 
And if you're trying to earn God's love by your goodness, you will never be sure that you've ever been good enough. And every time something goes wrong or a prayer goes unanswered, you wonder if it wasn't because you weren't good enough. There are plenty of good people whose religion never makes them warm or joyful or filled with light and life. I think many times the older sons among us are maybe just secretly jealous that the younger son got to go off and do all these fun things while we were stuck here at home. Now, repentance can be easy sometimes. Repentance is easy when your eyes are open to to see and and hear and, and read the law of God and realize that we are broken. We realize how far we've been down the wrong road. When we're caught and we're presented with undeniable evidence of our failure, or when the Holy Spirit crushes your soul with so much guilt and fills you with an agony that can only be alleviated by grace. But repentance isn't always easy. Sometimes it's just downright impossible, it feels. When you're convinced that you're not in the wrong, when pride tempts you to hide your guilt, or when you don't believe that your actions are really hurting anybody, Whenever I think about repentance, I go, back to, I go back to my experience in recovery and I understand from the 12 steps of, of AA that, that this repentance is just so much more than saying I'm sorry. Right? In, in, in recovery language, we call it making amends. And to make amends is this beautiful picture of repentance where you you acknowledge your responsibility in what happened that was wrong without making any kind of excuses. You just accept the responsibility. And you, you acknowledge the pain and the damage that you caused. And then the piece that most people forget is restitution, that you offer to make things right, which means if you, if you have lived a life stealing from others that you start paying it all back. If you've been withdrawn and secluded, you start by being present with those that you're around. You make things right to the best of your ability. Now, with this repentance, it's not just for the sake of beating ourselves up or making ourselves feel bad. It's for the purpose of receiving grace, the purpose of being forgiven released from our sin. So the younger son, he comes within eyesight of the house, right? He's been, he's been rehearsing in his head, Father, I've, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's practicing it over and over and over again. And I wonder if maybe he didn't even see the father first because the father has been searching the horizon for him. His, his father's forgiveness heart is on his shirt sleeve. He's been waiting for this moment. And he sees his son, and he runs to him. Now, this is important because children run. Dignified people don't run. But the father has no problem throwing off his own dignity and in pursuit of his son. He, he runs to his son, and he falls on him, and he kisses him. Right? And, and the father interrupts the, the son's prepared speech 
He ignores it. He, he's, he's directly contradicting it. And here's this incredibly tender moment where the father is so delighted to see the child that he's forgotten the pain that his child has caused him because his joy is so full. And the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he delivers this first part of the speech just as he practiced. It just flows out of his mouth. But, but as soon as he just gets these first words out, his father instantly interrupts him. He stops him and he says, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes, kill the cow. We are celebrating today. God's grace It beats us to the punch, which is probably not the best metaphor. But before we take the time to speak all the words of our confession, God is already at work absolving us. The father hears the speech, but he ignores it. What what would happen if we revisited our our own confession this morning and, and said, most merciful God, we confess that, that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you and thought. And then right there, God bursts into the scene and says, stop talking. I forgive you. I forgive you. The weight that you've been carrying, you didn't need to carry. I have been longing to forgive you. In fact, the angels in heaven, the moment you turned around and started walking back this direction, they started celebrating that when you started speaking those words and your repentant heart was revealed, I instantly, right then and there, forgave you for everything that you've done. I've released it from you as far as the east is from the west. That sin was this huge stone in a chain tied to you, pulling you underwater, and I've set you free. She can just breathe deeply this air of a forgiven person. Stop walking around with your head hung low. You are my son, whom I love. And that joy of finding you after you've been lost, that joy of knowing you're alive after we feared you were dead, is overwhelming joy. And here's the catch. Because we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God, only forgive us as much as we are willing to forgive. God, if there's a a hurt, a resentment, an anger towards somebody else because of what they've done to me, and I refuse to forgive them, if I hang on to that resentment, God, I want you to do the same with me. I think that's the hardest part on the Lord's Prayer. God, forgive me as I forgive other people. See, forgiveness and repentance, repentance and forgiveness, we are called as followers of Jesus to do both. And forgiveness sometimes is super easy, right? When when the recipient of that forgiveness is somebody who you care about, someone who's important to you. It's, it's, It's easier when they're particularly sorry for what they've done and are willing to try to change and do better. It's easier when the offense wasn't all that serious. 
But sometimes forgiveness can be hard. When that person is your enemy, when that person has not stopped harming you, when the harm that they've caused was life-changing, it's those moments that forgiveness can be more difficult. And I want you to consider in your, in your own heart right now, in your own mind, is there somebody that you're holding a grudge against? Somebody that is very difficult for you to forgive. And I want to give you a few tips that perhaps can make that a little bit easier. Pray for a heart in yourself that is open to forgive. It's just a great place to begin. Father, make my heart softer. Make me hunger to forgive. To remember everything that God has forgiven you to make it easier to forgive someone else. And then two, to remember that, that everyone is your neighbor, your, your brother, your sister, your family. To pray for the well-being of that person. Now, this, this actually works. To pray for the well-being of the person who hurt you. Because sometimes prayer is not about God changing circumstances. Sometimes prayer is about God changing you to be softer, to care more, to have a heart for them. And to, to remember that forgiveness is always in your best interest as well. I love the, the, the phrase that resentment is poison that we take trying to harm somebody else. That when there's a grudge that you're hanging on to, refusing to let go of, you're enabling that person to harm you even more. But when you release them from what they've done to you, when you wipe the slate clean, there's healing that happens inside of you when that occurs. And you are worthy of that healing. The Father wants you to know that healing because in that healing there is joy. There is joy in grace and forgiveness. Joy in heaven. There's some parables that, that Jesus kind of folds together in a, in a grouping with the parable of the prodigal son. In verses seven, uh, 4 through 7, there's the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 self-righteous people who don't need to repent. And in verses 8 through 10, we have the parable of the lost coin. And there's joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents. There is joy that happens in heaven when you repent. The angels were celebrating when we did our confession because they knew the words of Jesus, the absolution that comes next. Joy in heaven comes from sinners repenting. The Father, in his unimaginable grace, he invites us and even begs us to repent and confess our sins, that he might rejoice in showering us with grace. And he, the younger son, arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father was watching for him. The father saw him. The father had compassion for him. The father ran to him. The father kissed him. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. See, this kind of, 
celebration would be community-wide. Everybody in town would come to this party. This is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of party. It's almost like you see, you see weddings and the celebration that happens around a wedding. Each time you see that, I want you to think about and picture this is just a small taste, an appetizer of the incredible party that waits for us when we, when we arrive in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. That incredible wedding celebration of, of Christ wed, wedded to his church. This incredible time of joy and celebration that happens because of repentance and forgiveness. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This resurrection of dead and alive, that we are dead in our trespasses, but made alive in Christ. And this context of repentance and Lent, I love that we have a brief picture of restoration and the joy that happens with the celebration. I really want you to connect today emotionally with this this whole picture. Now, I've, I've had the opportunity and ability many times to walk people through repentance and confession and absolution. In a, in, a, in a big room like this, but I think even more precious to me are those one-on-one conversations. And it usually goes something like this. You can, you can just see in that person a shame, a brokenness. And there's some people in the room who feel that shame and brokenness right now. Something that you've done, something that you, you, you can't seem to stop doing that shame and the worthless feeling that you have inside, that you, your eyes don't even need to, to even be worth looking somebody else in the eye, that when you look in the mirror, you hate what you see, and then there's this brokenness, and the Father knows that you are hurting, and he yearns, just speak the words, Repent, come back. And as soon as, as soon as your heart gets to that place of, of realizing, I have nowhere to go with my problems except for God. And you, you, you hit your knees and you, you send up a white flag and surrender. And you say, God, I have, I have not gone the direction you wanted me to. I haven't even come close. God, I have absolutely no right to ask this, but please, please wash me clean. Please give me a new start. Give me a new beginning. And as soon as your heart has made that change, that repentance has happened, that your heart has changed and turned back to God, and the joy, the joy that erupts in the Father's heart is immense. Like you feel horrible and rotten and your Father is just filled with this overwhelming sense of joy who rushes to you, who picks you up and wraps you up and says, I love you. I love you. I got you. 
All of this is possible because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, because the tomb could not hold him back, that what was dead is alive. As we celebrate, I only use that word celebrate this time in preparation of Lent as we get ready for Holy Week. I don't want to see anybody walking around with their heads hung low. Keep your head high. You're a son and daughter of God. The victory has already been won. That you, though dead to sin, have been made alive in Christ. And that life is everlasting.